Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. As is a really big two-letter word. Forgive us as we forgive. It can be taken several ways, which is probably intentional. Jesus had a way of doing that. My name is Steve West. I serve as pastor of Jacksonville First United Methodist Church, and I'd like to share with you today about prayer and forgiveness. I've been looking at a book called The Red Letter Prayer Life by Bob Hostetler, and Bob writes that there are at least three ways to pray that word as. First, he says we might pray to forgive willingly. When Jesus says to pray like this, forgive us as we forgive, it sounds like our forgiveness of others somehow activates God's forgiveness of us, like forgive us in the same way we forgive others. Does our forgiveness really set the tone for God's forgiveness? I'd really like to dismiss that idea, but we do have to be a little bit honest because in Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus did what rabbis sometimes do. He added a little commentary. He said, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Ouch. Jesus didn't mince words. Forgiveness is a big deal. I've grown to believe, however, this is not about earning our own forgiveness by doling it out first, but about the truth that lack of forgiveness can eat away at us, and it might short-circuit our own experience of forgiveness. So, Let us pray to forgive willingly. Second, Bob writes that we might pray to forgive fully. Forgive us as we forgive may also mean forgive us to the extent that we forgive others. None of us wants partial forgiveness from God. God is a God of endless grace, so we pray to be able to forgive fully because that's how God forgives. Hostetler says the key to the ability to forgive is the grace to grasp the depth and the height of how much and how completely we have been forgiven. Unfortunately, we are too often like the man in Jesus' parable who was forgiven of this huge debt, but then he found someone who owed him a pittance, and rather than forgiving as he had been forgiven, he demanded payment in full. Maybe... If we can grasp the magnitude of our own forgiveness, our own forgiveness, we can move down the path toward healing and forgive others who hurt us. So let's pray to forgive willingly and let's pray to forgive fully. Third, Bob writes that we might pray to forgive constantly. That little word as in the prayer of Jesus can also mean while, you know, forgive us while we are forgiving those who sin against us. Now, I believe when God forgives, it's a done deal. But for us, forgiveness is not so simple or so complete. Sometimes it's a repeated decision. Sometimes it's a daily decision. So it gives me comfort that Jesus included the prayer for forgiveness in the same breath as the prayer for daily bread. Just as we pray for daily bread, we pray for daily forgiveness. In a way, we're saying, forgive us today as we are forgiving today. So let's pray to forgive willingly. Let's pray to forgive fully. Let's pray to forgive constantly. Now, for the remainder of our time in this podcast, I want to make a confession. I really struggle with forgiveness. 
Now that might sound really strange because I'm a pastor and we're used to the platitudes of forgiving always, but my personality is that I'm a deep feeler. I always have been, so I struggle with forgiveness. So so I'd like to share a story with you that's one of my most sacred stories in life, and it's all about prayer and forgiveness. The early years of ministry left me with some seriously big bruises and a few scars. I was young as a pastor, and I had this nagging ability to hold on to residual pain from those occasional conflicts that come our way. One spring, my family with young children went camping at Cumberland Island, a wildlife preserve off the coast of Georgia. It's a beautiful place. And our campsite was nestled in the palmetto, and it came with these two strange-looking poles. One of the poles on the campsite held a lockable cage to protect food from the raccoons. And the other had a single hook to hang the trash out of their reach. Well, I suppose one evening I neglected to tie up my trash. And I remember so vividly waking up in the night to the noises of plastic ripping and metal clanging that raccoons had come. Now, in my typical fashion of being wakened in the middle of the night, I rolled over and I went back to sleep until morning. But then remembering the raccoons, I rose up early to go have a look. Oh my gosh, the campsite was a mess with trash and items strewn everywhere. Somehow the raccoons had even managed to open our cooler with the childproof lock and sitting at the picnic table in the midst of this mess, I was suddenly swept into one of the most wonderful meditation experiences I've ever had. I was whisked away and I pondered three amazing things as I looked around here at the campsite. First, I thought, this is what raccoons do. This is what they do. There's no reason to be angry. This is what they do. The second very pregnant thought I had is this. They didn't really hurt me. It's aggravating, yes, but I'm no less for it. They really didn't hurt me. Finally, and maybe more importantly, I had this thought. Next time, I'll remember to tie my trash up higher. And I thought these three thoughts. And I grabbed my journal. I felt led to list all the, the quote, raccoons, unquote, of my life. All the people who had sorted through my trash for something to criticize or consume. And then I prayed over each of them. I wrote them down. I prayed over each of them in light of these revelations. This is what raccoons do. It's natural in relationships. They didn't hurt me, not really. And yes, it's time for me to establish a few boundaries. Keep my trash tied up a little bit higher. It was a it was a wonderful meditation time of letting go. And then I had one of those moments, I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments, but it, it had one of those moments when I was led to just the right scripture. I flipped through my Bible. And as if I'd never seen it before, I turned to Philippians chapter 1. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul was in prison and wrote about some of the raccoons that had been sorting through his trash. This is what he wrote. Some proclaim Christ out of envy or rivalry. Others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but intending to increase my suffering in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just this, that Christ is proclaimed in every way, whether out of false motives or true. And in that I rejoice. Oh my gosh, what acceptance Paul had. I was inspired. 
You know, the next Sunday, my sermon was entitled Raccoons Are Welcome. It was a communion Sunday. And I told the whole story about the raccoons. I encouraged my congregation to let go of what others have done to us. In God's house, uh, raccoons are welcome at the table. And if we're bothered that our protagonists are other Christians, it it helps to remember that Paul's raccoons were not only other Christians, they were other preachers. They were preaching in a way to increase his misery in jail. On Monday, after this sermon, I felt a nudge from the Holy Spirit as if to say, Steve, do you really believe what you preached yesterday? And I pulled out this file. Now, I had a habit of filing old letters and emails from those occasional conflicts that happened in ministry. I mean, from past churches and all. Why was I holding on to these raccoons? Now, on top of that pile, I pulled it out in in this meditation, this Monday morning meditation time after I was preaching to myself the day before. And uh, I pulled out this more recent letter on top. I thought I'd better keep this one just in case uh, because it was something fresh. So I laid that aside, but I took the rest of the file and I headed outdoors. And one by one, I read each letter to remember. I burned each letter as I prayed for forgiveness. I found such release as I poked through the smoldering ashes of my past pain. And then after a while, the spirit nudged again. What about that letter still on my desk? No, I might need it, I argued with myself. But why not go ahead and let it go? I sat for a long time in the stillness and the quiet, internally debating over that last letter that was sitting on my desk. And then suddenly, I kid you not, I heard a rustle in the bushes, and I opened my eyes, and there in broad daylight, just 30 feet away, was a raccoon. I'm not kidding. He looked at me quizzically. I'm getting shivers just thinking about this. After a few moments, this raccoon turned and meandered through the trees. Astounded, I thought, God, you have a sense of humor. So needless to say, It took me another day, but I burned that last letter. Now, for years, I've told this story of the raccoon in one form or another to encourage people to find forgiveness. I've discovered that that people that drive us crazy are a gift, for they keep us humble and they teach us to let go. And it's so incredibly important. And they're just doing what they do, and they haven't really hurt us. So we need to... Tie up our trash a little higher for next time and let it go. Well, several years ago, I wrote a devotional about the raccoons for the periodical we all know about called The Upper Room. And I, of course, had to abbreviate my story. Months after I turned in this, uh, I was notified of of its acceptance. And then months later, the morning of its appearance in the magazine arrived without notice. I had forgotten about the date. And I was just sitting in my office one morning, and I got a phone call. Is this Steve West? Well, yes, it is, I said. Is this the Steve West? The one who wrote about the raccoons? I suddenly remembered that today was the day. Why, yes, it is. 
The woman sighed with relief. I have been calling everywhere to find your phone number. She was from several states away. I had to tell you what happened to me this morning. My daughter is going through this nasty, nasty divorce, and her husband has been terrible to her, and it has driven both of us crazy that he acts this way, and yet he says he's a Christian. And this morning, when I read your devotional, I just couldn't believe it. I immediately went over to my daughter's house and we laid on the floor while I read the devotional to her. And we cried and we cried and we forgave him for all he had done to us. Wow, I said. I'm so honored that you're telling me this. Oh, you don't understand. That's not all, she said. Here's what's so strange. Her ex-husband's last name is Kuhn. I have been laughing about this for years. Because friends, pain and hurt is something we all connect with. Whether we're talking about marriage or family or church or life in general. That's why forgiveness is one of the most central practices of Christian faith. And that's why Jesus gave us this little word, as. Forgive us as we forgive. It needs to always be a part of our prayer life because we're prone to the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups of life. And it gets to always be part of our prayer life because of the immensity of God's forgiveness for us. Thanks be to God.